Tuesday, the 7th of September. It is the macro setup. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's macro setup is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. Remember that, please, later, Dan. Today, we're <laughs> going to be joined by Chris Vecchio, the senior strategist at Daily FX. And of course, our friends at Open Exchange, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. I'm geeked up. It's a, been a long weekend. We're here on a Tuesday. How are you, Dan? You got a little energy despite your yanks. I always not, have not, energy. Not having, not having a great weekend. Maybe it was a little of that college football, seeing mm, 80, 90, mm-hmm, 100,000 yes. people in a stadium just going nuts. Enter Sandman. You saw that one guy at the at the Virginia I saw, Tech. I saw the jump around thing yeah, at a little Wisconsin. Bit. Jump. Yeah. I do that jump around. Yeah. Who is that? Like House of Pain or something? Is yeah. that the group? Yeah, well, Penn well, State you know put him in the House of Pain, the, the, the Badgers <laughs> there, huh? <laughs> well, you know, it's a house of pain right now. Yeah. The three things we're going to take a look at, because yeah. I find these to be really interesting. Now, we're going to define stagflation. <laughs> we're going to do it in terms of a tweet that the great Dan Nathan put out. And then it sort of dovetails with Goldman Sachs slashing. And that is the word I'd use their GDP forecast. And this goes hand in hand. Cloudy outlook uh, for the business travel. <laughs> Listen, all these things make sense. Let's talk about stagflation first, Dan. I define it this way. Persistent high prices combined with a lack of demand or a, a slowing growth in an economy. And that's what we're seeing. Can you talk about the tweet you put out? Because you're clearly trolling people like me. Well, it's funny. You know, <clears throat> one of the first things I read every morning is uh, Joe Weisenthal from Bloomberg, his five things. OK, and in the top of it, they just had this kind of little market outlook. And I just kind of copied and pasted into a tweet. And it was kind of like that Internet meme. What do you call them, guy? The, the, the memes. Internet, the Isn't memes. That yeah. A meme? yeah. And yeah. it's like describe something without saying the word. So they gave this description that I tweeted out here. Disappointing jobs later it was the latest in a series of recent uh, data pointing to a possible slowdown in global growth. Meanwhile, there appears to be little to the stop of the rise in inflation, threat to output, Goldman cutting GDP forecast, um, unemployment benefits set to expire. And I'm reading all this stuff together. And then, like, that's the definition of stagflation Mm -hmm. right there, you know? And so, I guess my point is before that August jobs report, if your favorite financial pundit hadn't mentioned the word stagflation, they're gonna this week, you know? And they may do it in ways without saying the word because I think there's a lot of thought about that this is the one thing that could curtail the stock market rally if we thought we were not in a Goldilocks scenario, but we were in a stagflationary environment. Do you agree with that, Guy Adami? Well, I do agree with that. And the problem that this poses, obviously, and I've said this a number of times, I don't believe, and this is just my opinion, but I don't believe there are any arrows in the quiver of the Fed's, uh, the Fed's <laughs> quiver to combat this, right? And I don't think there's any way to combat this because what they're going to wind up trying to do is they're going to throw more money at a problem. And all they're going to do, all that's basically going to do is to continue to have prices increase. And there's really nothing you can do for the demand side of the equation. I mean, they can throw all the money they want, but if there is no demand, if there is, in fact, slowing growth, they're going to basically fix one side or try to fix one side and complete and continue to exacerbate the other side. And that's what we have right now. Persistent high prices, Absolutely. We're going to talk about yields in a second, but that 10-year yield seems to be breaking out to the upside. And this is, as they say, Dan, or as I like to say, a bit of a witch's brew, which leads us to Goldman Sachs cutting their forecast for GDP. And now it's not only them, you've seen it across the board. I mean, the Atlanta Fed, not that they get anything right ever, 
but you see it over and over again. The prognostication for GDP growth continues to get slashed, but prices continue to increase. Not a healthy situation, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no, we saw Morgan Stanley do it last week. They went from like six and a half percent, I think, to two point nine percent. Goldman Sachs is going to under three percent. Um, and listen, you know, for Q three GDP estimates a few months ago were eight, eight and a half, nine percent um, across the board. You can explain it away, bottlenecks, you know, um, you know, a bumpy, you know, kind of vaccination rollout across the world, leading to you know supply chain disruptions and port disruptions. And, and, you know, chip shortages and all that sort of stuff. But, but again, I mean, you know, you and I have been talking about this for months. This was not going to be like the liftoff from the global financial crisis. And I will add that, you know, while we came out of the financial crisis quicker, we hit it harder. It was like a rolling credit crisis. It went over to Europe and then it got to Asia. So, you know, I suspect that the, the kind of reflation trade post-pandemic is going to look similar in a way. It's going to take time. It's not going to be particularly coordinated. And I just think that as it relates to GDP, if you go back pre-pandemic and you look at the prior 10 years and prior 10 years included the financial crisis and all the QE and all that sort of stuff, we still averaged about 2.2% GDP. Okay, annualized, right? And we had some periods where it was 3% of this and that, whatever, even with all the hubbub about, you know, in the last administration and tax cuts and all the growth and growth was going to pay for the tax cuts, never happened. And if you look at the GDP chart, we had that massive, um, you know, dislocation last year forced. This year, to the upside, we're going to end up right back in the middle, guy. So your question about whether we get um, any sort of demand back is the one I think it's going to be plaguing markets in 2022. And then business travel, obviously, look, I mean, I've been of the belief for quite some time that business travel has been fundamentally changed. You know, if this is what we've lived through the last 18 months, maybe if it lasted for a month or two, I could have made an argument. Yes, things will get back to normal. But now that we're 18 months into this thing, I think the landscape has fundamentally changed. And business travel Mm -hmm. is such a huge component of so many things, not least of which, obviously, airline stocks. One has to wonder, you know, how that's going to play itself out. Again, I don't think it's going to play itself out particularly well, but that's been my opinion and it will continue to be my opinion. And all the things you're talking about, Dan, they will also be politicized. Whether you like it or not, that's going to happen. And, you know, that political rancor, it's just going to add to sort of the angst out there. And you wonder what impact that has on the economy as well, if that filters through. So a lot of things not to be all that um, optimistic about here on this Tuesday, September 7th, but until at least today's action, the market's been telling a much different story as you can see in the S&P 500 chart. I mean, this thing has been off to the races, but as Carter Worth says, to the penny, and this chart illustrates exactly that, we're bumping up against the top end of this range. One has to wonder when this hungry crocodile, alligator, giraffe, when it's going to eat, and quite frankly, it feels like we might be on the verge of it, Dan, Nathan. Yeah. And so, you know, the Jackson Hole, the Fed meeting was a big uh, nothing. And then we know that we have this Fed meeting coming um, in a couple of weeks. And I think if you had kind of taken the pulse of a lot of investors, strategists, economists, that sort of thing, pundits, they would have told you last month <clears throat> that the September meeting, the Fed was going to point to a taper of their quantitative easing. And I'm not sure, you know, that's the case right now. That being said, we're going to, again, talk about rates and they might be saying, 
saying something different. That would be the one thing that maybe kind of rankles the market here, guy. And you look at that resistance level going back to September 2nd, 2020, like you said, to the penny, the 50-day moving average has been really good support. But go back and look at that double bottom in May. Where is it? Just above 4,000. That's the 200-day moving average. That's about 12% away. I mean, my goodness, it could happen kind of quickly if we had a whole bunch of things coming together. You've talked about some of the geopolitical concerns, some of the the saber rag, uh, rattling with China um, a little bit, and that obviously leads into kind of the the global trade um, situation also. But to me, it just I don't I just don't know that pent up demand, whether it's pushed out travel for um, leisure or whether it's pushed out for work, whether it's pushed out of orders, you know, that you saw that Boeing order that they might mm-hmm. miss from Ryan. It, it just seems like it's on and on and on and on. And sooner or later, maybe it's just not pent up anymore. Maybe we just miss it for that period. And at a certain point, the S&P 500, the multiple where it's at, needs to start to reflect some of those fears. All right, listen, I'm well, I'm, I'm of the belief that the whole pent up demand mm-hmm. theory that's been out there is, is a sort of horse hockey, to quote Colonel uh, Sherman T. Potter, <laughs> but we'll see. But you know, it's a fine, fascinating today, and it's obviously early when we're doing this, but NASDAQ effectively unchanged. So the NASDAQ outperforming, but we also look at this chart, and this is pretty much the same thing. We're up against the top end of that range, obviously driven by the five horsemen or the four horsemen plus one, and it's been off to the races. Uh, I'm impressed today by the relative strength. One has to wonder, though, with yields going higher, how long this one lasts there, Nathan? Well, that's... The interesting point. You said yields going higher in Q1 when yields were going higher, guy. What wasn't acting well? Big cap tech uh, mm-hmm. was relatively out or underperforming the S and P 500. And I'm looking. I don't know if you caught this one, and I know you've been a table pounder on the CNBC's Fast Money. You see Netflix; it's gone up in a straight line, like 10 percent. Just broke out of this long range, um, you know, making new all time highs here. And you're seeing Amazon filling in that gap. A lot of these mega cap tech names are just moving on. Now, this might be a defensive trade guy. I mean, it really might be the sort of situation where money's just moving in. They're moving out of the cyclically sensitive sort of groups. And maybe that's what's going on. But man, oh man, 14,000 in the NDX is just above its 200-day moving average. That was the June breakout. That seems like the sort of level where you want to double fist and reload for a play into the fourth quarter or year end. And my point, guy, is it's like we just need to see a little fear. And we're seeing it across multiple assets classes, it doesn't seem to be anywhere. No, it's interesting that you mentioned it's a defensive trade. I happen to agree with you. You know, you, we're not, this is the macro setup, so we don't want to get too micro, but you mentioned Netflix, so I'll just sort of dovetail that comment. Netflix had been trading sideways for basically a year, yeah. Amazon as well. So one has to wonder if this breakout you're seeing to a certain mm-hmm. extent is exactly that defensive in nature. But the 200-day moving average here in the NDX comes in around 13,800. You got to believe that's in play. And the one thing I talk about all the time in terms of economically sensitive is this RTY. And we've been trading sideways in this effectively since January. One has to wonder, we did a segment on fast money last week, you know, the most important charts out there. I mentioned that the IWM or effectively the RTY is the most important chart. Why? Because I do think this can potentially lead the S&P. It has not the S&P has rallied while this has been going sideways now for six, seven months. One has to wonder, though, what's going to happen here. The 200-day moving average in the RTY comes in, I think, around 2185 or thereabouts. We're trading at 2300-ish. 
Uh, I think it's in play, Dan Nathan. Yeah. So the small caps, again, you know, more economically sensitive to, to some of the names that we just talked about here. It did have a nice little bounce. It did break its 200 day moving average a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a year or so um, to the downside here. But again, has not. Um, he's not really made a new high. I mean, it's kind of attempted to um, since February or so. So it's not confirmed any of the new highs in any of the large caps here. If it was to fail here and finally break below that recent range, you know, you might see the S&P follow suit. And that just leads us kind of to where we are in volatility. Looking at the VIX here, man, ooh, it has gotten back to pre-pandemic levels. It's got as low as about 16 um, or so last week here, the 200-day moving average in the VIX is 20. Just to give you a sense of just how low we are, it's just made a series of lower highs. So every time we get a bout of volatility, it's basically lower than the prior one, and it just gets bought. We get new highs in the S&P 500. It's fewer and f- it's amazing, right? I mean, the spikes have been fewer and fewer, less um you know, less aggressive to the upside, as you can see. I mean, it's a, it's remarkable to me that when we do spike into VIX, it lasts for literally 24 hours and we're right back into the high teens. One has to wonder, though, where we are now. I mean, there are a lot of things setting up. I think the level of complacency out there is manifesting itself in this VIX. And I just think it's a matter of time before this market gets caught off sides, which leads us, I guess, to some of the things we have to talk about here. I think the 10 year is really the driver of everything. And you mentioned we are breaking out through that trend line that you drew, this 138 or so level. We bounced off that 114 level a number of times. We're back through the 200-day moving average on the upside. That death cross, I don't know, is it playing out or is it a false indicator? Obviously, the next couple of days will tell the tale. I, again, believe we're going back to that 175 level, but I've thought that for a while. But for the first time in a while, um, it seems as if that might be in play, Dan Nathan. Well, if you were to go back to that 175 level, that was where we traded, um, I think, in late March or so. I mean, you just have to think about where that corresponds. Where was the S&P back in late March, Guy Adami? It was 4,000. I mean, right near that 200-day moving average. So if you were to get this rate move, now here's the one thing, and I know you're not a big fan of our friends, the uh, the central bankers at the Federal not Reserve. At not at all. Means. But wouldn't it be crazy, like when you consider about what's going on with the Delta and you consider about the supply chain disruptions, the Fed has been talking about transient pricing. They have acknowledged that inflation um, is you know, higher than they probably would have expected, but they don't think it's going to stick around for long. If they do in two weeks signal that they're going to start tapering bond purchases, is that the thing that makes rates go beeline for that 175 level and stocks to come in? Well, as Chris Vecchio will say, tapering is not the mm-hmm. same as raising rates, right? They're, two, they're, they're mutually exclusive. I get it. But to your point, that would be the first salvo, right? That'd be the first um, shot fired, I guess, in terms of trying to yeah. sh- turn this boat around. And I don't, again, I've said for months, if not longer, that I have no idea why the Fed's still hanging around buying $120 billion worth of stuff every month in this environment. It <laughs> makes no sense to me unless they see something that the rest of us don't. I think they've been propping up uh, a lot of things. And, and quite frankly, at a certain point, you got to let go of the bike and let the kid ride without the training wheels. And I think that's where we are now. But I do think rates go higher. And I will tell you, if rates go higher uh, with the dollar going lower and these growth expectations going lower, there's no way out of that box. I mean, they have effectively painted themselves into it. And it's a tough one to get out of. But we should take before we bring in Chris Vecchio, we should take a look at one more thing. It's obviously crude oil which is a huge indicator, right? I mean, crude oil is, is the granddaddy of all commodities. 
We had this bounce, but we're right up against the trend line that you drew, this downtrend line. We did bounce significantly off that support level, um, but we're not through that trend line. So you have to wonder, are we in this range now, Dan, Nathan? And I guess given everything we've talked about for the last 15 minutes, it would make sense to, to, um, to think that we will be. Yeah, there's two things going on here. I mean, this is just crude, right? So we're seeing a series of lower highs. We're seeing that bounce, like you mentioned, off of support. I think that's when kind of fears of Delta were at its highest um, back in mid-August or so. Not a great looking chart. I could see a retest of that $62 level, but that is in stark contrast. Look at the Bloomberg Commodity Index guy. Mm -hmm. We have a one-year chart of this thing. Now, crude oil makes up a big slug of that. Natural gas is in there too. So they're obviously down a little bit, but this, this index has had a nice little bounce. You know what's in there also is a bunch of copper and aluminum, which just may do highs and, and some other industrial metals, that sort of thing. So that's a different looking chart. And that might speak to that inflationary sort of situation. Obviously, crude is a huge input. But if you were to see travel come back on both leisure and business, and you're seeing like some bottlenecks kind of you know opening up as far as global shipping, that sort of thing, you might see crude bounce again. But you know this thing is, is banging up towards the top end of its range. It did not make it new high. Maybe you see this thing come in with crude or so. You mentioned the base metals. They're a huge component, obviously. Tin, mm -hmm. aluminum, copper. You mentioned that. Um, grains as well. But obviously, the, now the thing that everybody looks at on a daily basis, if not on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, is Bitcoin. And you can speak to this, Dan, because we're above this 50,000 level. Obviously, uh, I think for a lot of people, that's a huge number. Yeah. Right up against this trend line. You know, this this uptrend line is intact with through the 200 day moving average. If you remember, Tom Lee said you buy Bitcoin through the 200 day. And to a certain extent, he's been spot on. Thoughts here, Dan, Nathan. Yeah. The reason why we added this to the macro setup as our final chart before we get to Chris is that just listen, you know, this is actually the ultimate um, sign that that there's some people who fear of a stagflationary environment, in my opinion. And I think that's why we've seen this outperformance over the last couple of months. There were some technical reasons why it got sold in July. The miners were moved out of, um, out of China and they're relocating. And then you've seen this um, craze around NFTs, which has generally been good for Ethereum and Solana, two platforms that a lot of these NFTs have been on, but it's also helped make the case for Bitcoin, as we've seen a lot of fears of inflation in a low growth environment. Um, so let's see how this thing trades. I think it's below as we speak that um, uptrend that has been in place from the July lows, which was basically 28.5 to 30 or 52.5 and feels like a straight line. Let's see how it holds. I suspect it holds its tour today. Yeah, it feels that way. Now I want to bring in Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. He's been listening to us. Chris, how are you? We got some of your charts, but just wax poetic quickly on some of the things that Dan and I have been talking about. Hello, gentlemen. Hope you guys had a good Labor Day weekend. Yeah, good man. end of the summer. And as we're coming out of this summer, it certainly feels like the tone around the markets are changing. Uh, you guys noted before that the Atlanta Fed has not been that accurate. And to a degree, that's true. But also their Q3 growth tracker, uh, the growth tracker in general is pretty accurate in terms of the final GDP reading. And that has been coming down quite precipitously the last few weeks. Earlier this summer, it was at 6.4% for Q3 growth. As of today, it's at 3.7%. So more credence to the argument that growth is starting to fade, backing up the assertion from Goldman Sachs that we're looking at a weaker Q3. And then we talk about this lack of demand. Guy, I am right there with you. We now have those unemployment benefits rolling off right now. That's money in consumers' pockets that's not there. And recent studies show that for every 
uh, eight individuals who roll off of unemployment benefits, only one has been getting a new job within one month of losing their benefits. So right now, U.S. consumers are taking a little bit of a hit, and we seem to have this perfect storm, the, the witch's brew coming together, where higher yields on the back of perhaps a lack of tapering, uh, coupled with maybe a stronger dollar, we get weaker commodity prices. It might be a situation where we finally see this equity sell-off, one that has not yet materialized in what has been a pretty historic run uh, for stocks in general. Uh, let's and take a look. Of- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I'm, I'm sorry. I was, I was just going to say, let's take a look at some of the things you brought with us today. Yeah. And that's, that's going to bring me to my chart about QE because during periods when we have QE in the market, historically speaking, we've seen long-end yields rise. And that makes a lot of sense, right? As the Fed is making credit conditions easier, it it inspires higher inflation term premium, higher growth premium, that gets built into yields. And when they pull back the stimulus, that inflation premium, that growth premium, that's sucked out of the long end of the yield curve. So as we see things stand right now, if the economy is slowing, if the Fed is less likely to taper in September because of uh, of the slowdown in growth, then that may be some of the fuel for the fire in higher yields here in the very near term. So could yields run up? Could we see the 10-year go back to 1.415, perhaps? I think actually that's something that could be something that undercuts the equity market rally as we see these Delta variant concerns finally spill over into broader economic growth. Yeah, Chris, you know, you hear this expression all the time that the Fed has basically painted themselves in a corner. And that doesn't mean that the the corner they've painted in, you know, that, that they can only do one thing, right? Like, you know, a lot of ways um, you could say that with rates so low and guys said they just don't have um, some some interesting tools anymore to kind of fight a deflationary uh, or stagflationary environment, you know, what, what do they do here? Because I, like, again, I think a couple of weeks ago, I think if you had asked any of us, we'd say, yeah, they're going to hint to a taper and they're going to start doing, you know, 10 billion less a month. They're at 120 billion and they're going to keep on that pace, that sort of thing. But now when you you think about where we are, do they have, um, you know, like, with markets where they are and everything like that, do we see a, a really harsh reaction? I would have said a couple of weeks ago, um, not so. It wouldn't have been that dramatic in the S&P 500. I don't think the Fed has many tools left because stagflation itself is a policy conundrum, right? You either yeah. raise rates, which threatens to, yes, of course, bring down price pressures, but then that undercuts growth. And if you keep rates low, you keep providing stimulus that can cause inflation to stay high, even if it comes at a, a period of higher right. growth in the very near term. So the Fed really can't do anything about this. They they may be in a little bit of a policy conundrum right now where continuing to keep an eye towards tapering, not exactly announcing the tapering just yet, that could be their best bet. They have to look through this because if they do acknowledge that they're getting, you know, uh, losing control of the wheel, that threatens their credibility. And then that's when the markets really begin to hit the skids and volatility runs higher. But uh, you know, one of the things that I've been watching in the near term here is that the scale of the dollar sell-off around the move in yields and Fed rate hike odds, it seems to have gotten a little bit of a way from itself. You know, to quote Mark Twain here, uh, the, the reports of or the news of my death are greatly exaggerated. That seems to be the case with the dollar in the near term. The dollar looks like it can rebound a little bit. We have U.S. Treasury yields moving back up. Fed rate hike odds are still relatively intact through the end of 2023. And so for those that aren't listening at home, we have a chart here on the screen of Fed rate hike odds, uh, the belly of the yield curve, looking at the non-parallel shift of the 2S, 5S, 10S butterfly, and we have the dollar index. And the dollar index seems to be in a position now where if yields are turning up, if Fed rate hike odds stabilize, the dollar can bounce. And so all of a sudden, a stronger dollar, higher yields, that's not good for gold, that's not good Mm -hmm. for stocks. It could be something that helps 
take some of the steam out of the markets here. And we are still in that middle part of year two of a bull market, which you know, a lot of people talk about this stock traders almanac. I've heard Tom Lee reference this on CNBC, but this is the most difficult period of the year for equities during bull market runs. And we may finally see those fears realized throughout the month of September, leading into that September 22nd FOMC meeting. Let's take a look at gold because obviously you mentioned it and that's been something, again, feels like it wants to break out, then it slows down, faces the headwinds. You know, I'll still remain hopeful that gold has another run in it, but this chart might suggest otherwise, Chris. Sure. So that 1835 level, we've been talking about this for six weeks now, just has not been able to crack through the top of that July range. And we're starting to see some weakness set in here today at the start of this full week of September. You know, right now, the way I see this, we're below our short-term moving averages, the five, the eight, the 13. We're sliding right back to that one month at the 21 EMA. We're also starting to lose that symmetrical triangle support. So that combination of higher dollar, higher yields, not great for gold. And if it's an environment where you're talking about Fed stimulus withdrawal, how much further can go gold go? So listen, if we get above 1835, I do think there's a little bit more steam here up to 1880 or so towards that symmetrical triangle mm-hmm. resistance that's been in play since the start of this year. But other than that, you know, this is just not a place right now where I like to look. I think in the short term, we may have seen the rally from the lows uh, come to fruition, come to completion. Yeah, and it all sort of it hinges on what the dollar is going to do. And obviously, the euro is something that a lot of the folks watching and listening to the macro setup take a look at. So let's take a look at the euro, because I've said for a while, I think 122 is a foregone conclusion. But again, you just mentioned that the death of the dollar, you know, maybe it's greatly exaggerated. So let's speak to this. Maybe we did just bounce up and stop at the exact resistance level we should have. Sure. So last week when we were talking, uh, we discussed a potential run up to 119 or so, and we did run up into that summer high of 119.09, but we didn't make it much further there. And so it appears now that we're due for another turn lower here, consistent with what we're seeing across the board and even in dollar yen, which we'll cover next. uh, The US dollar itself appears to have been exhausted on its sell-off, just gone too far in the short term relative to what hike odds and U.S. Treasury yield movement was suggesting. And so now maybe we do have another turn lower back below 118. It's certainly looking like that's a possibility. And today's daily candle bearish outside engulfing bar that hints at more downside now as liquidity is returning to the market. It's really interesting. So we now have to take a look at obviously the yen as well, because you you nailed the euro. Let's look at the yen. I still think, again, this feels as if we're in this sort of sideways action, but maybe this uh, has some room through 111 thoughts. Yeah, so we've been taking a different point of view on the yen coming into this week. Before we were talking about a potential bullish falling wedge outside of that longer term bearish rising wedge that had been in place since the start of the year. But we always have to be able to change our minds, right? You know, one thing about trading, you have to have conviction to pound the mm-hmm. table at one moment. And the second that the situation changes, you have to be able to change your mind. But one thing that has not changed for me, just like you, Guy, is it looks like we have more of this listless sideways price action going on. Could we see another run higher here on the back of broader dollar strength on the back of higher yields? Yeah, up to about 110.80, maybe 111 or so. But if U.S. equities begin to sell off, the yen is a safe haven. The yen is a liquid currency. The yen tends to do well when stocks do not. So the way I see this happening, if we do get a rally up into the 111 figure or so, and we see equity weakness starting to set in, sell dollar yen, I like looking for it to go lower. Not too much lower because I think that will be well contained, but more range-bound price action. Lack of momentum, lack of breakout here on the table for dollar yen. 
Well, Chris, it's great to have you join us. And thank, again, thank you for joining us during your vacation last week. Dan, Nathan, some closing thoughts before we say goodbye here on the Macro Setup. Yeah, a really interesting theme, though, in Chris's work here is a lot of sideway action here and complacency. And we were saying that a little bit with major um, U.S. equity indices, except that they just seem to be trending higher, you know, kind of floating, levitating, whatever you want to say. And I thought Chris's response to my um, question about the Fed painting themselves into a corner is kind of interesting because maybe if they don't taper a guy, maybe that is a bad thing for equities. Maybe it is, you know, saying that they see things weakening far greater than a lot of market participants expect. And maybe we are out of that Goldilocks period with lots of fiscal and monetary stimulus and a global economy that's ready to reflate. So again, a lot of uncertainty here. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be going down um, in Washington between the uh, budget reconciliation, the infrastructure bill, bill the, the debt ceiling, uh, Biden's um, you know approval rating is very low here. So all of this could kind of come into play. And we know that Jay Powell, he's up whether whether he knows it or not, he's going to be either at the Fed or not at the Fed um, a year from now. So um, you know, to me, I just think that we're probably ready for a pullback. I think that would be the best case scenario for stocks if you're really optimistic heading into year end and into 2022. Yeah, no question. But again, be careful what you wish for, because those moves to the downside can happen very quickly. Remember the 200-day moving average in the S&P that we've talked about numerous times. I absolutely think it's in play. And maybe we'll talk about that over the coming weeks here on the Macro Setup. But I want to thank today's guest, Chris Vecchio, Senior Strategist at Daily FX, for joining us on the Macro Setup. And I want to thank our presenting sponsors, Nadex, Get Ready, Dan, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and... Knockouts, my main Damn man. straight knockouts. And of course, Open <laughs> Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. We will see you next Tuesday, the 14th, for the macro setup. Dan, have a great day. You too. See you guys.